Well, amen. You can shout if you want to. Wasn't that a great song? My goodness gracious. He will hold us fast. I'm so grateful that uh, we're not holding on to him. You know, wouldn't it have been something when Noah got in the ark or when God had him build the ark and then uh, God said to Noah, uh, put some pegs on the outside of the ark and grab hold and hang on. Woo, it had been terrible, wouldn't it? But he didn't do that. He said, come inside and God will protect you. And he did. I'm glad he doesn't ask us to hold on to him. He holds on to us. Well, praise the Lord. Well, we're in First uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2 today. Going to be reading verses 13 through 20. Let me just say that it has always been challenging and difficult to be a genuine follower of Jesus. Now, I mean, you can be a nominal Christian in most places, many places, and a compromising Christian, and it may not cost you much. But I tell you, when you really walk with Jesus, follow him, and uh, exalt him, honor him, declare him, it is costly in most places. Now, in some places, it's deadly. It's all, it costs you your life. If you're in North Korea or parts of China, parts of India, to just name the name of Jesus is to incur a, a, a prison sentence or maybe even a death sentence and certainly persecution. And in America, up until the 1960s especially, we had the home court advantage. We were protected. We were kind of in a safe place you could be an active Christian and uh, not face much opposition. But for the last 60 years especially, that has been changing in America. And I tell you, even today, right today, there are people in high position in our own government that if they could shut us down, they would shut us down. If they could rule out the Bible... To be read in any place, they would rule it out. Now, there's still, enough, uh, there's still enough pushback from even nominal Christians, but certainly from devout Christians, that they're not able to do that yet. But the day could come, I personally believe will come, when to take a firm stand for Jesus Christ, to declare Him as the only Lord and Savior, will bring about uh, opposition, to say the least, and persecution, to say the most. So it's always been costly to be a Christian. It was certainly costly to the Thessalonians. Those Christians in Thessalonia, Thessalonica, they, uh, they were paying a price for naming the name of Jesus, for following him. And so Paul writes them this letter to encourage them. He's telling them how to thrive not just survive. He's telling them how to, uh, how, how to thrive under pressure. Now, we're not under persecution yet, but we are under pressure. And I, I guarantee you, you can go out in the public place today, and you can talk about God in a generic sense, and nobody will get too upset. But you start talking about Jesus, and you incur the wrath of some people, that's for sure. And you start quoting the Bible. I've just been amazed at how our vice president, 
Mike Pence has faced such insult, such opposition, such derogatory uh, remarks, simply because he says things like, we must trust in God to heal our land. We must repent of our sins if God is going to heal our nation. He's made those statements publicly. He's also been made fun of because he believed that what they call the Billy Graham rule. He said he would not uh, go anywhere alone with a, a woman because for just for the sake of avoiding the appearance of impropriety, that he would always want his wife or someone else present if he was going to be alone with some other woman. And, and you would have thought he had just uh, claimed that he was uh, Winnie the Pooh or something. Uh, people thought he was crazy and said such horrible things about it. But I tell you, anybody, anybody who takes a firm, definite stand for Jesus Christ today will face some pressure, if not persecution. So listen to this passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writing to encourage these Thessalonians, and he says, We also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. He said, when we came to you, we preached to you, and you said, this is God's word we're hearing. This is not Paul's word. This is God's word. And he said, that's really what it was. It was God's word, and you received it. And then he says, for you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. He said, when you became believers, you actually followed in the footsteps of other Christians who were being persecuted. You imitated. That mean you tried to act like, but you followed the example. You, you faced the same thing they faced. And, uh, and then he says, and speaking of these Jews, who, both, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and, he drove, and drove us out, and they displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. And by the way, within just a few years after this letter was written, uh, the city of Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed by the Roman legions. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, and we were never away from you in heart, and by the way, I could say that about us, even though we hadn't been able to gather together and be together, man, our heart has been together. And I've prayed for you, we've prayed for you uh, day after day, and urgently, fervently, and united our hearts together with your hearts, even though we weren't able to uh, shake hands or even bump elbows we were able to at least be together in our heart. So Paul says, but we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face. That'd be a good verse, wouldn't it, for right now. We eagerly desire to see all of our folks face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. 
Uh, maybe we could make some statements about that here too, but we'll just let you use your imagination. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Boy, just feel the passion, the compassion, the love in Paul's heart as he's writing to these Thessalonians. So he's talking about how to thrive when you're under pressure. And here are the things that he says. First of all, with the exhortation of the word of God. He said, when we came to you, we gave you the word of God. And that's your strength. That's what will help you. And these Thessalonians, they listened to the word. They heard it. They listened to it. By the way, do you listen to God's word? Not just when you come to church on Sunday. I know you're going to hear God's word here. But are you listening to God's word day after day after day? Well, we live in a time where you can have God's word read to you almost any time of the day or night. I love going to work, bed at night listening to God's word. I like getting up, sitting in my, in my recliner with my dog and my coffee in my lap and just listen to God's word. And we've got Bible apps and all kinds of recorded things. But do you listen to God's word? Now, I want to tell you something. There's lots of other words out there today. There's lots of voices shouting at you, screaming at you. Voices over the television, voices in the neighborhood, voices over the uh, 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 radio in various places telling you all kinds of negative stuff. Well, I choose to listen more to God's word than I do to man's word. And he says, if you want to, if you want to thrive under pressure, first of all, listen to God's word. Jesus told us to, to hear God's word. Matthew 13, 9, Jesus uh, said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus told us, that we should hear. But then he tells us in Mark 4.24 what we should hear. He tells us what we should hear in Mark 4.24. It says, And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. So again, we need to listen, but we need to listen to truth. We need to listen to God's word. And then he tells us, to be careful how we hear in Luke chapter 8, verse 18. Luke 8, 18. Take care how you hear. Take care how you hear. How do you hear? How do you hear God's word? How should you hear God's word? I think with an eager heart, with a ready-to-obey heart, with a heart that doesn't have itching ears just wanting to hear what you want to hear, but that you want to hear what God has to say. So they listened to the word, and then they loved the word. He says, you received it, and the word that he used, the second word that he used here for receive the word is the word that means to welcome. The first time he uses the word receive, it's just like what you if somebody gives you a gift and you receive it, but the second time he uses it, it's like when you receive a guest into your home. Uh, if Brother Ron Brown came, knocked on my door, and he's standing there at the front door, and 
I peek out and I see it's him, what am I going to do? I'm not going to say, sorry, we're under quarantine. I'm going to say, come in, brother. Welcome to our home. You want some red beans and rice? Man, we just made a big pot of it yesterday. Cornbread to go with it. What time are you coming over? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how you receive somebody. And Paul says, that's the way you received the word. You didn't just hear it and say, that's good. You didn't just agree with it. You welcomed it. You were thrilled. You said, come on in. They received the word. They loved the word. The Bible is a treasure. It's a song we used to sing uh, in vacation Bible school. It said, the Bible is a treasure book. Isn't that the way it went? You remember? Remember that song? The Bible is a treasure book. And uh, it is. We we dig into it, and we dig out gems of great treasure. It's under attack today, though. People hate the Word of God. They really do. I can't tell you the number of times in the last five years that I would quote a Bible verse to somebody, and they would say, well, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe the Bible. And there's a concerted effort today to discredit and deny the Bible and to say, no, science is our Savior, not God's Word. Well, I love God's Word. It's, uh, to me, I'm like uh, Job 23, 12. God's Word is better than the food that I eat. And I love food. You know that. I don't know if we'll ever get to have a, another, uh, well, we will. But I don't know how long it'll be before we get to have another church dinner. But I'm looking forward to it. This Sunday does have five Sundays in it. This month has five Sundays in it. So I don't know. We'll talk about it. Uh, okay. But, uh, yeah, I love, I love food. But I love God's word better than food. Listen to what Job said in Job uh, chapter 23, verse 12. He said, I have not departed from the commandment of God's lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. He said, I'd rather read God's word than to eat strawberry cake and bluebell. And I would. I really would. If I had the choice, I'd go for God's word. I know you're not believing that, but I would. I would. I treasure the Bible more than food. I treasure the Bible more than money. Listen, Psalm 19.10. This is a familiar passage. You'll know it. Psalm 19.10. He says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I'm just saying... You ought to love God's word more than you love food, more than you love money, and more than you love sleep. Listen to this verse, Psalm 119, 148. Psalms 119. This whole Psalm 119 is all about the word of God. But listen to verse 148. 
My eyes are awake before the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. Now, you might say, well, what if I don't? What if I love food and money and sleep more than I love the Word of God? What should I do? I think you should do this. You should cry out to God and say, God, please set my priorities right. Give me a hunger for you and your word that goes beyond my appetite for anything else. Now, if you pray that, really mean that, do you believe God would answer that prayer? He would. He would because he said that whatever you ask according to my will, I'll do. And it is God's will for you to treasure his word. Amen? All right. So they listened to the word, they loved the word, and then they lived the word. They put it into practice. And by the way, the word of God will do you no more good if you don't put it into practice then medicine will do you if you keep it in the medicine cabinet. If you never take it, it won't help you. It's possible to have a head filled with Scripture and a life that violates the Scripture. One of the saddest groups of people in the Bible were some of the most knowledgeable men, Bible scholars, Pharisees who knew and had memorized the first five books of the Bible, word for word in Hebrew. Can you imagine? And yet Jesus said to them, you hypocrites, you are like whitewashed sepulchers, graves, outwardly beautiful and shiny, but inwardly filled with dead men's bones. There are many, many people who could pass a theology test and could pass a Bible quiz whose lives are being lived inconsistently with what they teach and what they know in their head. There is an amazing judgment waiting for people who do not apply what they know. Years ago, I had a, I think he was a distant cousin of mine, who boasted over having memorized almost all of the New Testament. My cousin and I were going somewhere, and I got caught in a snowstorm, and we ended up having to spend the night with this other distant cousin. And he boasted about how, how much he loved to memorize Scripture. He boasted, he quoted for us the entire Sermon on the Mount. We were impressed. And then later that evening, he got to talking about people of color 
and he talked about how they were like animals, that they didn't even have a soul, and he just said the most horrible things about people who were not white like him. And my cousin, Wendell, and I just looked at each other, and when we got in the car to leave the next day, my cousin said to me, I've never heard a man who had so much information and yet was filled with so much hate. And I thought, and I've thought of him many times since then. A man can have a head full of knowledge, but if he has a heart full of hate, all of his knowledge is worthless. It's worthless. So James 1, 19 says, Be ye doers of the word not just hearers. So it's wonderful to hear the word. So there was the exhortation of the word of God. That, that'll help. And then there's the example of the people of God, verses 14 through 16. He tells us that uh, you, you, you became imitators of others who are suffering. I don't know why, but it helps me when I am going through a hard time to realize that there are many other people who are going through a much harder time than I am. Does that ever help you? I mean, I, I, don't know, I don't know if that should be a comfort to me or not, but it is. All I have to do is go visit a, a rehab center or a nursing home or a jail, and somehow or another I come away from those places thinking, you know, I don't have it so bad. Really, everything's pretty good. And when I get to go to another country, when I get to go to Bulgaria or Liberia and see how Christians there are rejoicing with nothing, nothing except their faith and their family, I come back and I think, I'll never complain again. Unfortunately, I do. But it helps me. And that's what Paul is saying to these Thessalonians. Yes, you have it rough. But I want you to know all your brothers and sisters in all places are going through what you're going through. That ought to help you. And then the last thing is they... Not just the exhortation of the word of God, the example of the people of God, but then the expectation of the glory of God. He says uh, in the last few verses, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord at his coming? It's you. It's you. For you are our glory and joy. He said, there's going to come a day when all that you are going through is going to result in reward. The Bible talks about crowns. The Bible talks about different kinds of crowns. In James 1.12, well, really, Revelation 2.10 would be a better place to look at. Revelation 2.10 talks about the crown of life, the crown of life. It's for those who persevere under trials. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison. You may be tested for 10 days. You will have tribulation. 
Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. It's sometimes called the martyr's crown. The martyr's crown. Now, that's not the kind of crown any of us pray for, is it? Most of us would like to have crowns, but I tell you, there, there may be some of us someday. I know this is not very encouraging for Matthew, Joshua, Levi, Anna. To say that the day may come where you may have to stand and be given the choice to live or to stand firm for Jesus. Maybe not. I hope not for your sakes. But there are many today in many parts of the world who are faced with that choice every day. Will you renounce your faith and live or will you die? The martyr's crown, the crown of life. Then there's the incorruptible crown, 1 Corinthians 9.25. This is the one given to those who will deny themselves and persevere. The incorruptible crown. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it for a perishable wreath, but we for an imperishable. We do it for an incorruptible crown. And then there's the crown of glory. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, this is a crown that's given to pastors who are faithful. They shepherd the flock unselfishly. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then there's the crown of... Uh, rejoicing. The crown of rejoicing. That's the one that's mentioned here in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. It's given to those who lead others to Jesus. We could call it the soul winner's crown. What is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord? It's you, people that I've led to Jesus. We all want those crowns. I actually wouldn't even mind having the martyr's crown. I mean, you know, I don't have any death wish. But I tell you, when I... If I were to be put to death for Jesus, that would not be a tragedy, folks. That would not be a tragedy. Again, I'm not seeking that. But if it were to come, it would be a crown for Joyce. So he says to these Christians, yeah, things are tough. Things are tough. Be exhorted by the word of God. Be encouraged by the people of God. Be uh, encouraged by the coming glory that's yours. Because it will be worth it all when you see Jesus. One of my favorite songs is this song called It Will Be Worth It All. Are you familiar with that song? Any of you know that song? It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. You all know this song? Hun, would you come up here and help me sing it? 
Kim, you want to come help too? We're just going to sing the chorus. I'll read you the verses. I love the verses too. Sometimes the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur, and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away, all tears forever over in God's eternal day. Life's day will soon be o'er, all storms forever past. We'll cross the great divide to glory, safe at last. We'll share the joys of heaven, a harp, a home, a crown. The tempter will be banished. We'll lay our burdens down. And the chorus goes something like this. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face. All sorrows will erase, so bravely run the race till we see Christ. Stand up and sing that with us, that chorus, sing it with us. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. Amen. Let's just pray for a moment and. Heavenly Father, I thank you that uh, when we do face pressure, problems, even persecution, that we can have the comfort of your word as we receive it, love it, live it, listen to it. That we can have the encouragement of knowing that other Christians are facing the same kinds of pressures and thus pray for them as they pray for us. And then we can have the encouragement of knowing that it will be worth it all. And whatever we experience, in the name of Jesus and for your sake, will be repaid. As Jesus said to Simon Peter, who said, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus said, Peter, no one has given up anything, houses or lands or family or friends, but he will receive it a hundredfold. And he could have said a millionfold or a billionfold in the time to come. Help us to know it will be worth it all.
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Now, go ahead and be seated for just a moment. Let's just uh, have a moment of invitation. It may be that... Uh, it may be that you need to come in some way. I know in a small group like this, there's even less likelihood that there's somebody who needs to come and make a personal decision, but there could be. But I think every one of us needs to make a reaffirmation in our heart that wherever God leads us, wherever Jesus leads us, we'll go. If he leads us beside still waters, then we praise him for that. But if he leads us, in ways of suffering, we'll follow him. And if he leads us in ways of opposition, wherever he leads, wherever he leads, I'll go. As we sing that, if you need to come, you come, and I'll pray with you. Mm -hmm.